you. What about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of the DC multiverse. Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This week we are going to be discussing Volume 1 of Snot Girl, the image comic series by Brian Lee O'Malley, Leslie Hung, Mickey Quinn, and Mayor Odomo. And we're not doing it alone. We are bringing on a very special guest and probably the literal biggest Snot Girl fan on the face of the earth. <laughs> Welcome, Trevor. Hello. I don't know if there are any crossover listeners from Queering the Guillotine that followed you here, but hello again, Queering the Guillotine listeners, if you're out there. <laughs> now, Trevor, you and I both read this as it was coming out in floppies, but even though we both liked it, like, you were the driving force, I suppose, like, the number one fan. Would you like to just start us off talking about what it was like getting into Snot Girl all of those many, many years ago? Yeah, issue one of Snot Girl came out in 2016, which, for some who may not realize, was seven years ago now, which is close enough to ten years that I'm like... Oh my god, this 10th anniversary of Snot Girl is in three years. I'm gonna... We're, we're old. <laughs> but um, the point is, yeah, um, basically right after Eric and I got together in 2016, shortly after, um, both of us got back into reading comics in different ways. For me, I basically had read some graphic novels in high school and um, a, a big chunk of those New 52 trade paperbacks in early college when the New 52 was happening in DC. Because that was me trying to get into like Batman comics, basically. And um, 2016 would have been my first time getting into comics to the degree of like buying floppies and having a pull list. Because I, I remember being like, how does this even work? I go into a comic store and I just see all these little floppies everywhere and none of them are issue one, so I don't know what to do here. I guess I'll just go to the trade paperbacks. And um, But specifically, at that time, the Black Panther movie was coming out soon and I wanted to read a Black Panther comic and ta Coates was starting his run on Black Panther for Marvel Comics um, and I wanted to read that because I was like, oh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is a great writer. I'm interested in this Black Panther character. Let's go to the comic stores to find Black Panther number one because it's, I'll know how to do that. It's a number one. I'll know what to look for, even though I'm overwhelmed by all this floppy nonsense and like the distribution riddles and mechanisms of just buying comic books, <laughs> which is a whole thing to learn how to do. And, um, yeah, we were in the store looking for Black Panther, and I'm pretty sure we found it, but on that same trip, 
I remember seeing Snot Girl issue one just on the shelves and saw the cover by Leslie Hung, which features the protagonist, Lottie Person, a.k.a. Snotty, a.k.a. Snot Girl. And she's half naked in the middle of getting ready. She's getting her hair and makeup done by these, like, kind of creepy, like, colorless white hands with nails, like, reaching out from off the page to, you know, put on her lip gloss, do her mascara, curl her hair. And I was just, like, I remember picking it up and going, like, snot girl, huh? Cause she, and she has that little bit of snot coming out of her nose. And putting it down and walking away and then being, like, but what was that over there? And let me pick that up again and, like, flip through it. And being like, I don't really know what this is, but I'm interested. And literally, like, kind of like the ideal, like, l- like version of selling a comic book. Like, literally me, the customer who knows nothing, just seeing the cover and being like, I'm intrigued enough to buy money, like, spend money on this even though I have no clue what it is like (laughs) and it turned out to be my all-time favorite western comic book to this day um and to even just speak on the back cover as well while we're here which is part of what drew me to it the back covers of the floppies are all these like instead of just an ad for a Snickers bar or another superhero comic or what have you they're all these like full page back covers of photos of flowers and for volume one, for this run, they're all pink because the um, banner at the top was also pink. That color does change for the successive volumes of the series. And it would just be full color flowers with one panel from the issue taken as kind of like a advertising, like buzzy panel or whatever. And so at the back of issue one, you have this close up of Lottie's mouth as she's saying, I'm almost 26 and I've only ever kissed one person. And I don't know. I was just so drawn to the cover design and the art. And I think it kind of like also is that back cover, I think, speaks to one of what are still the major draws of Snot Girl to me, where um, especially for Leslie Hung as a creator, this series has so much shoujo manga DNA in it. And, um, even though at the time I wasn't, I hadn't got back, I hadn't gotten back into reading manga, but, um, especially now that I'm like mostly just a manga reader, I look at like the, you know, all the florals of this like dramatic romantic panel and I'm like, oh, this is just a page from shoujo manga. Like, and, um, you know, following Leslie Hung as a creator since this, um, Not that she's put out a ton since the pandemic, basically. Um, But just listening to the podcast that she used to have with uh, Sloan Leong, who's also put out comics for Image and probably another publisher I'm forgetting. You know, a lot of her influences in her art and um, storytelling comes from shoujo manga. And rereading these now, seven years later, (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, I see it everywhere. I see it everywhere, you know? Yeah, like... Among the things you hit on, I think the graphic design of it all is definitely, like, a big draw for me, too. Like, you know, comics are art. And also, 
they are products mm-hmm. and these floppies were like successfully constructed as products like the cover illustrations are great the sense of a consistent design with the back cover and like the theming and the fact that there is theming <laughs> as image likes to do and it's not just an ad for the blue beetle but and it's not just an <laughs> ad for the Blue Beetle feature film on uh-huh. the back, but it actually is also just fervoring the personality. I love the hands on the issue one cover because they look like Scooby-Doo ghost hands. <laughs> um, and then genre-wise, yeah, like everything you said about shoujo manga influence, but also just how refreshingly slice of life a lot of it feels in terms of just like the subject matter, because... Obviously, I don't dislike superhero comics, and I don't dislike the other sort of, like, top genres after those in America of, like, you know, fantasy, horror, etc. But it's nice to get a break from that, you Mm -hmm. know? And I'm not saying that Snot Girl is the literal first-ever slice-of-life American comic, (laughs) because, of course, it's not. However, it fit a very unique little niche when we went to that shop, Mm -hmm. and I still appreciate that about it. They used the wrong cover on the trade. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing, though, to speak about the design of the trade paperbacks, even. Um, All three volumes had a brand new illustration by Leslie Hung just for the trade paperbacks. Because on the Barnes & Noble editions of the books, I think they did use um, floppy covers. Like, they reused them. Um, But the uh, image comics, or I guess just non-Barnes & Noble versions of the flop of the uh, direct market maybe direct market yeah probably they so each had it. yeah they each had a brand new illustration by leslie hung for them and um but unfortunately it was the barnes and noble exclusive editions that each came with a poster of one of the floppy covers so i did buy two copies of each one <laughs> and i did remove that poster and then bring the barnes and noble version to um, our local used bookstore to get a little store credit. <laughs> um, which in hindsight, I should have just kept both versions of each one, but we only have so much square footage in the world. Um, but yeah, and even like the trade paperbacks, like they have a really nice, like the like embossed font where the both title on the front and the image credits, uh, image credits, the uh, creator credits for Image Comics are embossed they have a nice texture to them they're they're glittery they're glittery they're glittery under the light even on the back the panels they pulled from the issues the the borders of the like the panels themselves are that embossed glittery texture same with like um the like key words on the back cover like who is she and stuff like that you can feel that they have that nice raised texture it just feels like such a more deluxe release for a standard comic trade paperback even though they weren't priced any higher it's just like i love the attention to detail yeah just in the actual physical books you know i read this on hoopla yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah like they definitely just put effort Mm -hmm. like they definitely put effort into the physical all manners of the physical release from the floppy to like the embossed trades and everything mm-hmm. and those posters are hanging up on the wall upstairs to this day yeah you can even um always remember when 
which issues came out because above the issue numbers they put um at least for this first volume fall winter 2016 the way that you would refer to like a fashion collection in fashion history like oh here's the alexander mcqueen fall winter 2011 blah blah um so truly like every element of the design of the books feels considered which i just i love that it feels so deluxe (laughs) Before we dive into the story itself, I'll ask both of you, had either of you read anything by Brian Lee O'Malley or Leslie Hung before, or was this your first time? I, I've i read the first volume of Scott Pilgrim. Right. Yeah, listeners may be like, if you have never heard of this, I bet listeners are like, wait, the Scott Pilgrim guy? Because... That was my reaction. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> that is his big thing, that he is... To this day, promoting like the all that anniversary reunion, new anime. The anime like, looks really cool. Yeah, like Scott Pilgrim is still. I like having the movie. a moment. <laughs> the the first volume of the book was good. I need to actually read the rest of it, but I I don't have it physically, so I need to like hoopla it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I've always been a huge fan of that movie because Edgar Wright is one of my favorite filmmakers because I'm exactly that kind of straight guy. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But yeah, so I I did like a triple take. I was like, hang on, isn't that the Scott Pilgrim guy? But yeah. that was it. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not um, a Scott Pilgrim fan. Like I haven't read any of it. I saw the movie and I liked the movie. Um, but I do think that um, I can glean from the outside that like his writing in Scott Pilgrim really comes through here in terms of all of the characters sounding as realistic. As, well, sounding like real people while still telling jokes and being funny, um, which is not always a balance that is met successfully. Um, and I really appreciate that. That's one of my favorite things rereading these now. I'm like, oh yeah, like, this is how me and my friends talk to almost a literal degree. Like, obviously sometimes when they're really making jokes or whatever, but... Just, you know, them yelling at each other like, like, oh, that bitch put real milk in my coffee or whatever. Like, it's like, this is how people talk. Like, <laughs> the slightly quippier than reality and all the jokes actually land version of dialogue. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not entirely realistic, but it's close enough to not feel clunky and weird. Yeah. It's a nice naturalism to it while still being, like, well-constructed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, there will be, like, a solid amount of text that's, like, delivered, like, in text messages, which, if there's one thing that I think is really hard to pull off, it's having characters text in a piece of fiction mm-hmm. and have it not be cringe-worthy as hell, but <laughs> it works here, and it just oh yeah feels like an extension of the personalities. Yeah. It's because they use punctuation but don't capitalize all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's the balance. And it is worth saying, even though Brian Lee O'Malley is, like, credited as the primary writer, this really is, like, he and Leslie Hung's child. Um, You know, he didn't do any of the art except for the variant covers, but both of them, um, based on, like, from listening to podcasts with them and stuff, I think it's fair to to credit Leslie Hung for the storytelling. I mean, obviously... Artists on all comic books should be credited for the storytelling as much as the writers. But I think, um, particularly in this case, like, even if Leslie wasn't 
turning in drafts of scripts, she and Brian worked very close on this series that, like, um, in terms of the writing of it as well. It's like co-plotting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds, yeah. And, like, her input on, like, kind of, like, the more, um fashion, bloggy, social media... That was the thing that threw me when I, like, Scott Pilgrim guy did the fashion blog Yeah, <laughs> and um, especially, like, you know, all the, like... Well, you know, she drew it, so obviously she would be pulling in the fashion references for literally drawing the clothing, but, you know, etc. <laughs> Should we jump into the fashion of it all? Sure, so, um... Yeah, I think that... Uh, still, even rereading this today... These first, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, like five or so pages, six pages or so. The intro to this series, I think, is one of my favorites ever. It's so strong. It is so economical in telling you exactly who these people are in terms of both who they are as caricatures and also as, like, nuanced people. Um, cause basically for readers who don't know, the pitch is that Lottie Person is a fashion blogger. She has, she is gorgeous. She has huge tits. She has this giant mane of this like violently chlorophyll green hair. It is just uh, some of my favorite hair in all of drawn or illustrated art ever um and you know that kind of thing is where leslie hung is bringing in her references to moto Hagio from manga who did like other world barbara and heart of thomas she's bringing in akiko higashimura who did princess jellyfish and tokyo tarareba girls she's bringing in mizuno junko who the names of her works escape me, but that's partly because I think of Mizuno Junko's aesthetic as so multifaceted multimedium, because she did, like, you know, little figurines and stuff, too. Uh, but, you know, these are, like, again, the these Japanese women who she was kind of pulling from to give you this, like, larger-than-life hair that goes, like, all the way down her back and is just voluminous and rich-looking... And that's what she looks like. She's a fashion blogger. But she is crippled with allergies. And that is where the snot comes in. Because whenever she's outside and she walks by a flower bush or if there's some cat hair on your clothing or whatnot, the allergies take over. The snot, the snot starts pouring out of her nose. Her eyes are watering up. And... Her insecurities about these allergies kind of trigger a spiral in her to bring out the Lottie that you don't see on the fashion blogs. Like, in the photos, she's perfect. She's flawless. She's hot. She's sexy. She looks like a model. But then the other Lottie that no one should see is, you know, snot on her sleeve snot soaked tissue shoved up her nose like scrolling through other people's blogs and saying things and I'll quote here why even bother updating just stop with the maxi dresses no one cares like just hateful evil demon it's not quite Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde in terms of like 
oh, she has two personalities, and then her snot triggers the other person, the, the Mr. Hyde to come out. But it almost kind of, like, gives that in a way. Like, I almost want to pull that as a reference in this. Um, and, you know, the series kind of is just about her relationships with her friends and her boyfriend is really what the crux of the series is about. Um, it is about her gr grapples with her allergies. It is about social media and the ways in which that affects our relationships outside of out off the screens or doesn't there is an overarching mystery where the series kind of dips into um you know uh leslie hung and brian lee o'malley have talked about how the real elevator pitch for this series is it's gossip girl meets i think twin peaks or i would say more specifically mulholland drive um because there is a weird Lynchian mystery that kind of pervades under the surface of this series that we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, these opening pages, you know, they introduce Lottie, they give you the down low on her allergies and such, and then they introduce her two closest friends, including Megan Foster, whom she has nicknamed Norm Girl because she is, quote, boring and a normie. Her age is 23, 27, don't care. And Misty Sutton, who she is labeled cute girl, whose style is too cute, and her age is a mystery. And I think the, the question of her age comes up in later volumes to comedic effect. And yeah, Norm Girl Megan, she is exactly as she sounds. She just like looks like a regular lady. Like she's pretty, but she's not like, oh my god, is that a model? Like, she is very... And she just wears pretty much, like, nice, normal lady clothing. She has an engagement that everyone is annoyed by and just normal girl things. Whereas Cute Girl is quite the polar opposite. She is disturbingly cute. And I think that this, this page introducing her is like one of my favorite character introductions ever because <laughs> there's you know the three girls are supposed to meet up for haters brunch and which explains itself with the name and norm girl is already canceled on her cute girl misty literally comes up to the restaurant they're supposed to have brunch and just knocks on the window that lottie is sitting next to on the inside won't even come in and instead just texts her from the other side of the glass, I have to go home and feed my fish. And the panel in which this text message conversation is delivered, Misty has this side eye. It's not quite a glare. It's not quite a means of being avoidant. It's still cute, but it just has so much in that expression that's like a mix of like condescension and also boredom with well meanwhile Lottie's like no no you can't cancel on me we're supposed to do this and she just like is just Lottie is beneath her in this instance <laughs> and then the other panel of her on the same page of her <laughs> putting the last nail in that coffin with her like 
I'm really sorry though. Gotta go. Bye. P.S. Fish are cute. Because Lottie doesn't think fish are cute. Her expression in that panel, where it's just a front-facing, gigantic eyes, invisible nose because of the angle, and just like malevolent little pout that almost looks like a fish's mouth the way that <laughs> to the speaking of fish she just looks so like evilly adorable in the in that image where it's like you are very cute but i don't feel safe around you <laughs> like i love these characters introductions so much how did y'all find them uh yeah i mean you immediately get the the dynamic there between all the characters. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't think of anything to add. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Especially since you in particular, Chris, are reading this for the very first time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I assume you enjoyed the, these introductory pages. Did you feel like you had that feeling of like, oh yeah, like I feel like I know who these people are pretty immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very solid introduction. Yeah. I like how much it works for characterizing both them and Lottie because the whole convention of giving them names and uh-huh. the like little text info boxes like basically says as much about Lottie's way of characterizing people as it does about like the people she's characterizing mm-hmm. with regards to Norm Girl it's not explicitly this but she has like a slight little aura of like specifically christian youtube makeup girl she is yeah the closest to like trad adjacent like if this came out in maybe like 2019 2020 instead of 2016 i think that norm girl would have been even further into like the current revival of the like trad girl christian youtuber like i don't know if lottie would have been friends with her if she was that religious but I feel like those references would have been the ones to be pulled when making this character and thinking about, like, what are quote-unquote normal girls who are also successful influencers like nowadays, you know? Oh, yeah, the, the he goes to work so I don't have to, people. Oh, yeah, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it would be accurate for me to say that, like, norm girl puts up less of a pretense, mm-hmm. but at least, like... The aura she gives off is different. It's less extreme and flamboyant. Yeah. Like, part of her air that she gives off is, like, trying to sell a normal, everyday authenticity. Whereas cute girl, if she was a drag queen, she'd be describing herself like, I am the alien that crash-landed in Tokyo, and I'm Uh a Harajuku girl from Mars, Uh you know? (laughs) Yeah, she is definitely, like, that hyper-kawaii, like... Just, you know, when we see, like, shots of her room later and her bed is so plush and, like, there's even, not to to just jump ahead um, a little bit, I think it might be, I think it's in a later issue, um, but there's there's a panel of her where, maybe it was Lottie, actually. You know what, I'll save it for later because I'll find it. Uh, But there was a panel where basically her outfit was so fluffy and cute that you couldn't see the chair she was sitting on. So she just seemed like she was floating on her own cuteness. Like, and defying gravity. <laughs> like, I think, it, I think it was her. I think it was the later issue where she's at a cat cafe in Japan, actually. That might be the panel I'm thinking of. But, yeah. I, um... I also love that, uh... 
you know, I focus a lot on Norm Girl and Cute Girl, but and even Lottie, like, it's nice that these the first three beats we get from her are a peek into her allergy attack where there's snot raining down her face and her eyes are watery because it is a flash forward to the events of like after the end of this issue and the beginning of issue two um so we get like the dark side the very next thing we get is um some people coming up to her in the cafe and being like uh excuse me are you and she's like yes i'm lottie i'm she because she's used to being recognized but then it turns out that they thought she was an actress from Game of Thrones. And so it's immediately like, in, in a quick one-two punch, it's, this is someone who is recognized and is a successful fashion blogger, but this is also someone who embarrasses herself in public. <laughs> because Lottie is like, you know, throughout the whole series, before I even think of her as chic, I think of her as, like, an anxious, paranoid mess in terms of, like, her constant, like, neuroses about, like, an anxiety about what everyone's thinking of her, how is she looking, like, which I think speaks, probably speaks to, like, how most people feel who, either, whether or not they are influencers, but, you know, it, it also doesn't help that because her job is looking good, she's going to be anxious about looking good. But for her, it's to, like, a comedically extreme uh, degree because she is very paranoid about her relationships and anxious about what everyone's thinking of her. And and to good, um, for good reason, as, like, the, like, weird under, undercurrent mystery begins to develop in the series. She's very much micro-celebrity. Mm -hmm. where it's like there is some level of fame that's also built on anxiety and delusion <laughs> and just like the confusion in those first pages sort of gives the perfect immediate introduction to how famous she is mm -hmm. because it's like oh she can be recognized but she isn't right now because it's very much like to a hyper specific little niche of a community, they would know who she is, but she's not, like, real-world famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, and the first issue basically um, does a lot of setting up of, like, what her life is like and um, from things like, you know, going to the doctor for her allergies and by the end of um, these first few pages, you know, we get a little bit of her stalking her ex-boyfriend on social media, which is a big thing, seeing the new girl that he's with and immediately <laughs> comparing herself and hating on her and being like, it, 1992, is she younger and prettier than me? And then seeing her picture and going, oh, just younger. <laughs> and, um, you know, in getting her little coffee for the day while she's stalking her ex-boyfriend... She runs into the last most major character, who is Caroline, last name I believe unknown for these first this first issue at least, who she immediately dubs Cool Girl because of how effortless and just cool she is. She's very much like I don't remember. I think uh, Dua Lipa was probably like, just coming onto the scene in 2016. Like, I think New Rules had come out that year. But when I look at Cool Girl, basically I see, like, 
oh, she looks like Dua Lipa to me. Like, it's very, like, dressed down, brown hair, but still unrealistically beautiful. And, like, just kind of has that vibe about her. She doesn't really have to... She never has to really speak at a high volume. She can just kind of, like, be there and be like, like, oh, like, we have the same coffee order. Like, we should be friends. Like, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, and I will also say, especially in volume one, there is no heterosexual explanation for her relationship with Caroline. Yeah, and, I was gonna say. <laughs> and the series definitely builds on that as the successive volumes came out to where... Because I remember in the beginning, I remember having the thought of like, oh, is this is is this maybe some weird kind of queer baiting, even though I don't really feel like I need to feel that way because there's no heterosexual explanation. And then to like, spoil but not spoil later volumes, the creators agreed, yep, there was no heterosexual explanation. <laughs> because there was none. And... Um, yeah, so she, you know, they both have the same coffee order, so they both reach for it for the, at the same time for their meat cute. They did the hand touching. Uh-huh. She thinks about how her skin feels. Uh-huh. And there's panels of her just staring at her while blushing, which are like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love this, like, the... I love how this series is not afraid to use really big panels and just have these beautiful, large portraits of their faces. Because I do think this is a series where so much is sold in their expressions. And, yeah, that big panel of, like, Lottie and Caroline's faces just inches apart, talking about, like, half-calf cold brew of non-fat almond milk and one pump of lavender syrup. That's my order every day. And Lottie being like, mine too. Like, it's just, like, so, (laughs) like, ridiculous. Like, again, shoujo manga, like, romantic comedy. Like, it's so good. And, um, yeah, basically, her relationship with Caroline will kind of, like, develop the... It kind of is, like, the, the main plot driver of the series. As, um, later in the issue, things develop things take a left turn basically with Caroline as they meet for their what I'll just go ahead and call their first date at um at a cool like basically a dive bar which is of course where Caroline hangs out like oh yeah like I'll put on my bomber jacket and I'll just go go to a bar where they serve like whiskey and beer because you know it's like whatever I'll just drink that like it's cool and um you know they have this nice night together and, of course, Lottie ends up seeing her ex and starts to spiral. And basically what unfolds at the end of this first issue is Lottie misremembering if she already took her allergy medicine, her new allergy medicine from her new, like, kind of creepy doctor. Who, by the way, immediately, I love the introduction of, like, like, oh, like, hi there, Lottie. I'm your new doctor. You can call me Dr. Rick, though. And she's like, okay, Dr. Dick. And then for, like, the rest of her internal monologue, she always refers to him as Dr. Dick. <laughs> and, um, yeah, she basically maybe took more of her medicine than she needed to. Maybe didn't. Also, she was drinking. And suddenly things take a turn where Caroline is checking on her in the bathroom where she had been crying over her ex-boyfriend and something happens and i think just based on this first issue alone there's a panel where it seems that caroline is kind of stepping on 
these very round pills because as Lottie literally comments on, like, why are these pills round to begin with? Like, mm. pills shouldn't be made that way. <laughs> and so it's like, does Caroline slip on these round pills? Unclear. What is clear is that she falls to the ground in front of a shocked and horrified Lottie and appears to smash her head hard into the ground as there's a pool of blood all around her head. And the issue ends with just Lottie horrified, like, against the wall, sinking to the ground and thinking, I really wanted for us to be friends. And it's so, like, what just happened? <laughs> Why did things take a left like this? <laughs> what was your reaction reading this this ending, Chris? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, so this is... Because, like... So reading it, I'm like, alright, so what's going to be the thing that shakes up her life that, like, uh-huh. makes there be a plot? Right. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay. Well, cool. That's, uh... <laughs> I was just like, alright, well, I'll see where this goes. I have to say, at the point where we are, it's, I think, the first five issues are in the first volume. Yeah. Um, I'm very confused. Uh-huh. And let me tell you, again, not to spoil future volumes while not spoiling them... These questions have not been answered. <laughs> cool. The, and the series has been on hiatus since 2020. We may never see it again. Oh, and I'll just go ahead no. and say, these questions don't get answered. Some of them kind of do. Most of them don't. And I live in hell. <laughs> see, I had assumed this was complete. Oh, no. Yeah. It is the tragedy of Snot Girl. Every, like, month or so, Leslie Hung will post a sketch of Lottie and be like, Snucker will come back one day, and I'm like, just stop torturing me. Like, (laughs) the great die-off of 2020 for comics. Well, she also specifically posted on Instagram in, like, December 2021 saying, Snucker will be back in 2022. Yeah. She did not come back in 2022. She did not. And, and, you know, now Brian Lee O'Malley is in the middle of so much Scott Pilgrim stuff. So it's like, maybe, maybe one day. Maybe that can pivot. Once maybe he's done day. with that, he can use the momentum from that to get yeah. Snot Girl back, hopefully. Yeah, I would love it. I would really love to see it. But, um, but yeah, that is the end of issue one, basically. And um, in the trade paperbacks, they collect all, this, all the sketches at the end. But basically at the end of each floppy... There would be at least a page, sometimes more, of Leslie Hung's sketches of the characters, which I love as much as the, like, principal art for the series, basically. Um, Leslie Hung is also a great Instagram to follow because she does post all kinds of sketches and, like, of her own characters and fan art and stuff. Like, her her Sailor Moon sketches are some of my favorite. Um, And, yeah, at the end of issue one, there was also, like, a little blurb from... Like a quick little blurby comic from Brian Lee O'Malley about his own experience with allergies and um, how that's kind of like was one of the inspirations for the series. I think Leslie also has probably talked about having trouble with allergies, but you know, both of them were like, this actually is a problem that affects our lives. (laughs) The sketches are great. Issue one doesn't have them, but as you get further in... The back matter will include some letter page type stuff. Yeah. But more importantly, 
beyond even that and beyond people sending in their cosplay photos, we get the photos of people's pets sitting next to issues of Snot Girl. So we get cute little <laughs> dogs reading Snot Girl. Oh, yeah. Those are the best ones to get. <laughs> yeah, it's like issues um, five and issue three. They have, yeah, little doggy next to Snot Girl, cat next to Snot Girl. We love to see it. That's like the, I think um, in the letters pages for Squirrel Girl, I think I remember some good like pet photos next to the comics. Like, we always love to see it. <laughs> yeah, Squirrel did. Squirrel Girl was that, and then it was like young girls who were like first time ever in a comic book shop because of this series. Yeah. But yeah, and basically, um, you know, issue two kind of picks up a little bit after the first one. There's definitely gaps in her memory where it's like she, you know, waking up and being like, what happened that night? Is she dead? Am I going to be investigated for a death? I'm super paranoid and at home like usual. And we get introduced to one of the heroes of the series, her unpaid intern, Esther Dumont, who is basically one of the only bitches in this series who really has her shit together. <laughs> um, you know, she's she's Lottie's assistant, well, and her intern, which is basically playing the same role, managing her emails, helping her get ready for events, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, we get an actual kind of haters brunch for the girls where, you know, they're like, oh, like, how are you? And Lottie's like, nothing, nothing's happening. No one, no one has definitely died in my presence. Cute girl has a big to do to be, to become the main character talking about a pig who has died, who was a teacup pig that she might have actually killed by pouring hot tea into the teacup in which her teacup pig was in. And I forgot about that. And then rereading, I was like, oh, did Misty kill her pet pig? Did Misty boil her pet pig to death? Um, but that's very cute, girl. Like, I have an adorable teacup pig, and I've boiled it alive because she's low-key evil. <laughs> um... But, and basically, uh, a, a lot of issue two also involves the investigation of Charlene, who is um, Lottie's ex's new girlfriend. Her, her ex's name is Sunny, Sunny Day, which is like, what a name. And um, basically, Lottie is like, I'm seeing this girl everywhere. She took my boyfriend. She's showing up at places. At, like, at the, she works at the coffee shop I go to. And I didn't realize she was the one handing me my coffee every day because I never felt the need to actually look at her, basically. And then um, Esther is even like, um, that girl was your intern before I was. And Lottie had completely forgotten that this girl worked for her <laughs> because she was just so beneath her notice in that way. And, you know, she kind of like has this actual run-in with Sunny that she's very emotional about, but we still don't really get a lot of Sunny really in this volume. Like, he's he's introduced and he shows up, but I feel like he has a lot more page time later. He's around and I am just sort of like, why was he dating Lottie? Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, basically, in the middle of investigating Charlene, it's like, 
just introducing this weirdness of like okay this girl is actually everywhere and she's low-key always been everywhere because she was working for me she has my boyfriend and it's either in this issue or the next one it's revealed that she is like ordering dresses from Lottie assumedly off of like Depop like wherever Lottie's reselling her clothes Charlene's ordering them in a later issue we see Charlene is buying the like collab sportswear that Lottie did with Nike that has Lottie's name on it and in the middle of that weirdness she starts getting texts from Caroline which is obviously weird because she witnessed her fall to her death in front of her (laughs) so she's like how can this be possible and before we can get more into that weirdness um, by the end of the issue they also introduce Detective John Cho, who is a former fashion student who was pressured into joining the LAPD because of his father's expectations of him, who was like, follow in my footsteps and be a good cop. And so he is a cop, but he, as a former fashion student, he is very fashionable himself, even though his suits just look like normal suits to me. The characters are like, commenting on how nice they are and dropping a name brand or whatever. And basically it's revealed both that John is investigating Lottie for some reason. It's not even really explicitly explicitly made clear at first that he's investigating, like, Cool Girl's death. All we really know is that he's investigating Lottie. And he also already knows who she is and as is revealed in the next issue or so, has been following her for a while, both because of his, you know, interest in fashion, but also because of his particular interest in her. There's also a a scene that we're given that's kind of unexplained at the beginning of the next issue where it's like, oh, did they maybe even have a one-night stand at some point or some degree of a relationship in the past? That's kind of some more vague weirdness of, like, there's all these pieces that are moving around this center, but even the center is kind of, like, vague and surreal. And I think that's where a lot of the, like, you know, I'm not really a uh, David Lynch fan, but, you know, when people talk about, like, the Lynchian element of something, or, like, I've seen Mulholland Drive, so I definitely know it's, like, very much, like, Weird, surreal things are kind of happening and not really being explained because they're almost not worth commenting on, but they are, you know? And that's kind of where yeah. issue two into issue three takes us. And what did we think about as this mystery was starting to kind of develop in a like kind of drip-fed sort of way? The detective's a weirdo. <laughs> Yeah, he's super weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think that um, what kind of sustains this series, as I've said, like, because the mystery is so drip-fed and so vague, it really is, like, the humor of the series that keeps it going, where, like, even if there was no plot and it was just a slice-of-life comedy, I would read it. Um, I think that we... Like, their voices are still just so funny throughout like I made a reference earlier to like how Charlene in making Lottie's coffee 
accidentally or otherwise gave her cow milk instead of almond milk and they freak out about that because of course Lottie is allergic to uh, lactose um, and yeah just like the the dialogue is just so strong and just keeps me laughing throughout the issues that it's like I, I wasn't even really concerned about how slowly we were getting that mystery because of how funny it was you know when there's enough of Lottie self-destructing her life on a regular basis to keep you entertained. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, the nature of the plot is, like... Or the nature of the mystery rapper is that... I don't know, it just feels kind of amorphous because, like, there's not a concrete sense of what's happening because part of the mystery is over what's reality, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of just, like, events that seem in a lot of ways like they can't have physically happened and you know there's the initial thing of like oh was it literally just this experimental new medication mixed with alcohol Mm -hmm. did Lottie just like black out and hallucinate you know and that's (laughs) where the reality shift is except then other stuff happens of characters corroborating things it's like oh well maybe that's not it after all so it's very like like we're not meant to have a firm grasp on anything because it's very much like Lottie does not and no one does and what the hell is happening yeah and as the series goes on it like truly builds on that and gets literally more speculative as it goes in terms of like because we we do get the scene um in this issue where we as the viewer see Caroline like wake up in off the floor. It's either this issue or issue three, but like wake up off of the floor in the the bloody bathroom floor and like stand up and um, then in a later issue, there's a scene where she seems to just start bleeding apropos of nothing from her from that same spot on her head. And so it's like, what is going on with Caroline? If Lottie's not hallucinating this from her medication, then does that mean that that Caroline is the, like the speculative element here? Like, what is it with her? I wish that. <laughs> well, I don't know. There probably wouldn't have been room. But in a later volume, Caroline's brother is introduced as a character, who is this like evil little twink, who we see do everything from like just start showing up all over Lottie's life in various like oh I'm your delivery person today or oh I'm you know basically like Charlene just popping up everywhere to even like scenes of her brother like in like literally Metal Gear Solid Solid Snake costume like doing Mission Impossible spy work so the series definitely just like builds on this like weird like what is even real mystery (laughs) yeah and um issue three the bulk of it takes place at an engagement party that meg is throwing um with her fiance ashley who is immediately introduced as a really awkward flirt who's like kind of a creepo and then it's revealed that, oh, wait, this is literally Meg's fiancé who's hitting on Lottie. And, you know, to the point where later there's even a part where he's like, 
waiting naked in the bathroom for Lottie and Cool Girl, cool girl to show up with a fully erect censored penis and everything. And it's just like, great. So it's funny that she didn't come up with a nick, wasn't able to come up with a nickname for him because, I mean, Creep maybe. Guy. Huh? Creep guy. Yeah. Or I was just like, I mean, the word fuckboy is right there. Like, <laughs> I think she even calls him that. But um, I guess it would need to be like, yeah, like fuck guy, which I think could have maybe two different meanings. But yeah, he's gross, but there is comedy around his grossness, which I appreciate. And um, turning back to the fashion element, <laughs> when Lottie shows up to this engagement party in a really pretty dress, like a pretty white dress, low cut, um, with like a kind of a little bit of a train behind it, not like a touch the floor kind of train. Um, and these really like, like even like, like thigh length strappy white boots. It is revealed that cute girl was sent the same dress by whatever brand was doing influencer spawn con sending PR packages to people. And cute girl has even embellished her dress with like, little stars and baubles and is like looks like sewn in a couple stars like where her cleavage is in like a honestly a way that I think does elevate the garment a bit and so you have that classic like oh no they're wearing the same dress as me and then of course cute girl immediately capitalizes on it and is like because everyone starts taking pictures of them and it's like who wore it better vote on social media like immediately capitalizes on the moment because She's a professional. She knows how to do her job. It's just a gigantic cluster of anxiety, everything about the party for Lottie. Because there's the cute girl wearing it better than her. There's Charlene showing up in one of the dresses that she bought off of Lottie. Uh So it's like everyone is doing Lottie and like getting away with it better. So it's just uber anxiety inducing... She's just a mess. It's just very nice character writing throughout from all of that to Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ashley flirting and, like, them meeting by touching hands, getting, like, chips and dip. (laughs) And her internal monologue caption when she first sees him is just, hot person, with an exclamation (laughs) mark. (laughs) That's what she did for, uh cool girl as well uh-huh <laughs> exact, i think the panels are laid out almost exactly the same as well actually they're very similar yeah <laughs> yeah hottie hottie <laughs> snotty is very much a bisexual icon meanwhile ashley is like a pansexual demon <laughs> more or less as the series goes on yeah we get this great scene at the end of the issue where she literally confronts charlene and just bullies her <laughs> where she just walks up And it's just, hey, nice dress. And I just love how mean she looks. Like, the the framing of the panel has, like, Charlene, like, literally cowering in the corner of the panel, like, looking over her shoulder, while Lottie is just, like, this beautiful figure of contempt, like, looming over her. And, you know, she, like calls her out for, like, buying her stuff and, like, calling her a stalker. And, like, you know, even though she is seeing her here and there and around her life, 
a lot of the narrative that Lottie has developed about Charlene is kind of just invented based on looking at her social media, you know? This is, like, their first real conversation. And she, like, has this whole thing about, like, and you better hand wash that dress because it meant a lot to me and you better take good care of it. Like, just to bully her. Just, like, inventing sentimental attachment to this dress that she sold, like... The coloration also shifts to, like, a blood rage red. Yeah, Like yeah. in a monster scene in a movie. I was gonna say, this scene in particular uh, is a real highlight for both the colors and the lettering. Yeah, uh, I love how, as she gets madder, there's, like, a panel where, like, you start to get that, like, ombre effect as the as the red is, like, building to fill the panel. And um, it is a shift from, say, like, when I think of the... You know, first few pages of issue one, it's so, like, almost pastel. Like, it's more um, saturated and rich than pastel is, but it's still so gentle on the eyes and everything is so bright and colorful. Whereas here, not only because of it being a scene outdoors at night, but also to convey the emotional intensity of the scene, it's like that building red and like just the stark like blue and black backdrops and like Lottie's hair is still like green but it's a more muted shade of green um yeah so you know lots of props to Mickey Quinn for coloring this series um because it just would not have the same personality that it does without these colors also want to make sure to mention the lettering on air because there's just so much like variety and how it's executed and how it's used mm-hmm. between just like the different types of text of dialogue and narration like text on phones there will be sort of like emphasis on humor where like in the narration she'll be talking about other characters and then the words she uses will be like slapped in like much larger lettering over top of like the chests of the characters she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Like when Charlene just has the word her written on her body in really bold text, we get like changing sizes of fonts within the same panel for various reasons, sort of like, showing like Lottie like lose focus as she's like listening to other people but sort of like losing her ability to really understand what's going on Mm -hmm. as she's like clearly getting it or as she's like clearly out of it and like losing her grip on shit yeah it's all very nice I love the different colored uh wood balloons especially oh yeah there's even um literally in the next issue there's a line where Sunny says like so you made a real splash at the party and the word splash is in blue. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of really funny um, censoring swears in this too. Like, they pretty much censor, like, almost every swear word, but especially fuck. And it always has, like, a little, like, not just, like, a black bar, but, like, as if someone scribbled it out with a marker style of censorship, which I think is funny. Um, yeah, it's a fun way of doing it. Because when I read it, I almost hear the, like, that, like, TV, like, beep, like, when, mm-hmm. for whenever they're speaking. <laughs> like, right here in this, in the, at this party where Ashley, she sees Ashley looking at her again. And she's like, he's making fuck eyes at me again. But it's like, he's making beep eyes at me again. 
Like you can like just tell that it starts with an F and then it's just like white out. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, basically all of this culminates in Lottie once again popping an allergy pill, washing it down with champagne, and <laughs> fully like losing it stomping over to Charlene and pushing her into the pool at the party. <laughs> and Esther, you know, everyone's immediately like, oh my God. And um, <laughs> there's this great moment where when when she showed up in the same dress as Cute Girl, Cute Girl, capitalizing the moment, was like, oh my God, we're twins, even though Lottie is obviously miserable. And then <laughs> when she pushes Charlene in the pool... Cute girl's first thing to say to everyone is, that was not me, everyone. That was my twin. (laughs) And, you know, she's just, like, screaming vitriol at her... Or Lottie is screaming vitriol at Charlene as she's, like, crying and splashing in the pool while Esther's, like, trying to get her out of there. Just, like, while you're in there, you can hand wash my dress. We all see through you. Like, Like, truly just, like, just... The floodgates are open. She is being a complete demon bitch in this moment to this poor possible stalker. And finally, she is (laughs) convinced to leave by Charlene. And especially after, you know, her ex, Sunny, has a few choice words for her. But even as she's running away sobbing, (laughs) Leslie Hung put these fucking sparkles around her hair as she's running away. And I'm just like, I'm so sick of you. Like, (laughs) even her running away sobbing after pushing a girl in the pool, again, has to be this, like, shoujo manga drama, like a twinkling in her hair. Like, (laughs) And the sobbing is a sound effect. It's just the word sob over top of her head. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's so funny. (laughs) And yeah, um... And that's when she finally... Runs into Cool Girl again, you know, seeing her in person for the first time since the incident. And goes crying into her arms. And, you know, she's like, let's just go be by ourselves for a while and get away from all this. That's where we get the aforementioned uh, naked Ashley with his censored dick out in the bathroom. And which they shut the door on and are like, let's go the other way. Um, Oh, and it's at the end of this issue where we get... The, like, I guess it's a dream John is having, the policeman of possible a time he and Lottie, like, got together to some degree. Or it also could just be a fantasy because, like, she, yeah. she has her arms around him while he's, like, in his work clothes at a chair. So maybe this is just a fantasy. I read actually. it as just a fantasy. Yeah. Because, yeah. like... It's, like, the detail about pooping with the door open is so specific and realistic that I thought it might be real. But now I'm just like, well, maybe he just has a very thorough imagination. <laughs> I read it as that, yeah. <laughs> I read it as a weird kink. Oh, I mean, you know. <laughs> it's very much like when those artsy films come out or whatever. Or films that are trying to be artsy films. And it's like, ooh, make sure to get a shot of like the lead actress peeing in one scene for no reason. Like, you know. Very that. <laughs> Show us those feet. Oh, yeah. Gotta get the feet shots, etc. That's the Tarantino you've been watching. Yep. <laughs> That's what we were looking at last night was Uma Furman's feet. Uma Furman's poor feet. Um, and, yeah, that brings us to the end of issue three. 
Oh, and then issue four is when we get Caroline. We we as just the viewer get the the little uh, shot of Caroline rising up off the bathroom floor covered in blood. Um, there's also in the floppy for issue four. There's like a fake Instagram post of a picture of Lottie from behind after she has just pushed Charlene into the pool with the comments being like, you know, oh, this party was whack, but this one girl really went off. Like, <laughs> in the like previously in page, yeah. Yeah. How much those were in the trade? I know. There's like the, the, the floppies, if you're. If you're a fan of the series, the floppies are honestly worth tracking down. Like, I really like having them, um, even if I, we don't pull them out all the time because the trade is so convenient, obviously. Um, and yeah, issue four, you know, features another trip to the doctor where she gets an over-the-counter medicine to take alongside her prescription that might help balance her out a bit. Um, and then there's... Literally yet another party at Norm for Norm Girl or at Norm Girls or one that she's hosting, which I was like, when rereading in a trade forum, I was like, oh, we're back at a Norm Girl party, okay. <laughs> and uh, the the wood, like weird little wood candlestick thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> very the, like the the choice bit of home decor we get to see. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Very um, Magnolia Family Network, very rustic chic, pottery barn, very Norm Girl. (laughs) And yeah, she basically is apologizing to Meg for acting out at her party, running into Sunny again, where they have another moment. Um, Oh, and this is where we get the panel of cute, cute girls not at the party because she flew to Japan and is at a cat cafe and... Yeah, this is the panel you were talking about earlier. Where she's <laughs> floating and just fluff. She's whatever garment she's wearing completely overwhelms whatever seat she's sitting on. If she's even sitting on a seat, she might just be floating in her shapeless pink fluff. Like I love it. <laughs> and she's texting them about how she's going shopping and buying two of everything, and ones for her and ones for Lottie, and. Meg texts back like any presents for me and then there's radio silence for seven minutes before just I'm having so much fun bye (laughs) yeah cute girl is so good real quick to just go back to the doctor for a minute oh please when she's describing what's been happening when she's losing her mind Mm mm-hmm and specifically the last time she, like, mixed it with whiskey or beer or whatever. And uh, I think champagne. Mm-hmm. And she goes, it cleared my sinuses super fast, but then I kind of pushed a girl in the pool and screamed at her. <laughs> and Dr. Dick just comes in close and says, I'm sorry, but that sounds hot. Right. Like, of course Dr. Dick is a fucking creep. <laughs> that all creeps in this. I know. Yeah, I love how this really sells, like, you know, whether, this isn't a truth about the world, but it's like, yep, this is very much like, even though Gossip Girl is set in New York, I guess I'll say The Hills, where it's like, here are the evil semi-elites of LA, they're all creeps at each other, they're all manipulative and flaky and bitches, and (laughs) yeah... And, like, that applies to Lottie, too. Mm -hmm. Most especially in the dealings with Esther, 
because the like G plot, like <laughs> two panels every two issues, is Esther on her phone, like applying for actual paid jobs and then just looking back and being like, what the fuck at Lottie as. <laughs> Just everything she does, from just being a crybaby mess to not really listening to the whole thing of having entirely forgotten about Esther's predecessor, the other intern. And it's just a very slow plot in the background of, like, Esther is clearly ready to get the fuck away from Lottie and get out of all of this. Because she's less an assistant and more the one doing all the actual work of doing Lottie's life. For real. <laughs> I do at least like that, um, even though by the end of this volume, Esther has gotten a real job, they do stay friends, and Esther does make appearances in the series still because they're friendly enough that Esther will be like, okay, yeah, I'll come to this party with you, and stuff like that. Because I do, I like Esther, and I'm glad that uh, they remain friendly enough that Esther can keep showing up. <laughs> I think she's another useful character and just showing yet another way in which Lottie treats the people around her. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> because just, like, she is the focal character. All the other characters come to us through her relationships to them. Mm -hmm. And even though the consistent theme of all of them is her being an anxious, kind of monstrous mess, you just get to see it sort of manifest in slightly different ways depending on each social context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this issue is kind of like a quick read, because I feel like it's kind of like, um, you know, apologizing to Meg, or we have the doctor's appointment, we have apologizing to Meg, which she, like, readily accepts the apology, and having the little, a little moment of tension with Sonny of, like, oh, like, he smells so good, and, like, being close to him feels so natural, and... It's been made clear that Sonny and Charlene haven't talked for a week. So it's like, oh, like, is there trouble in their relationship? And then they take a selfie and Sonny is like, I better not see that picture on Instagram. And then leaves. So it's like, okay, like, obviously something is going to go on between her and Sonny still in terms of, like, his maybe rocky relationship with Charlene. And then the issue ends with John finally catching up with Lottie and just asking her a few questions, talking about, like, I've actually been reading your blog for a long time. Like, he's low-key a fan. And meanwhile, he has this internal monologue about how, like, what an incredible human being she seems like. And one thing we haven't mentioned is that John kind of has two internal monologues where one of them is just kind of like his regular thoughts and feelings, but then he also has this other, what I kind of read as his internal monologue, but it also is just kind of like narration that appears where it becomes like, like narrating his life as a cop. Yeah, it's and his, his cop monologue. Yeah, where like... It's a different font. It looks more like typewriter font on, like, a translucent black background to make it, like, differentiated from the other lettering choices in the narration or the, like, kind of info boxes. And it's, like, it, it, it looks in the direction of kind of, like, cop drama noir-ish 
narration. Like, it's not, it doesn't lean super heavily into it, but, you know, it's like, so this is where she lives, a place like this. His partner isn't going to be happy. In fact, maybe this whole thing is a very bad idea. Like, it's very, like, very that, you know? It's halfway to being hard-boiled, but not all the way. Yeah. Because I would feel a little too out there for this. Yeah, and I feel like, um, I like to interpret it as not non-diegetic narration, but I, I choose to interpret it as his internal monologue that he's, like, scripting the cop drama of his life, you know? Because it's funnier for me that way. <laughs> and, um, you know, most of their conversation is pretty casual in terms of him just being like, I'm a fan of your blog, and I'm just looking into some things. And then the issue ends with, like, how he found out where she lives, which is through her mom, and he passes back to her a little evidence baggie of her allergy medicine with little bits of blood on it. And so, you know, that's when it's made clear that he he went to the scene of Cool Girl's collapse, and that's probably what he's investigating, even though it's still very unclear what all he knows. What even happened? What happened? How did he know to go there? Did Charlene call the cops? Like, it's all tons of questions, and it's kind of just like, this was like the the drip feed drop of, oh, so she did collapse that night for sure. Because when she saw Caroline last, Caroline was like, oh yeah, you like ran to the bathroom, and like, when I finally went to check on you, you were already gone. Like, Caroline played it off as like, I didn't even see you in the bathroom. And so Lottie was like, okay, I guess that didn't happen because you're obviously alive. But then here's these bloody pills. So it's like, okay. And she didn't have any, like, she was bleeding from her forehead, but her forehead looked absolutely fine. It was like, it's been like nine days. I'm yeah. like, if you had a gash that bad, you'd have a bandage still. Yeah. And so, you know, we're back in like, what's real, what's not? <laughs> By the end of the issue. I love the doggy at the end of issue four, too, posing with the, the photo of someone's real dog on the back cover, on the inside of the back cover with the issue. Very cute. With his little paw on the cover. Yeah. And then that brings us into issue five, where, you know, Lottie is doing fashion blogger things, having a little independent photo shoot for her blog, where we meet... Um, cute girl's friend robo girl who you know basically is just like not super expressive pretty monotone in her mannerisms and speech and is taking photos for her um charlene has gotten lottie banned from her favorite coffee shop which is appropriate and funny and there's even this like photo from that night i'm sure from someone's instagram of lottie in that dress like with a raging expression on her face. <laughs> um, and then Charlene in the coffee shop, like, <laughs> kneeling down in the ground in a doorway, like, cowering. Uh-huh. Every time a customer comes in who you don't want to talk to and you're like, someone else go. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Of, and of course, Lottie's like, <laughs> anyway, it's my friend who needs coffee. And then RoboGirl's like, we just met and I hate coffee. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and after that, guess what? Another party. <laughs> um, this time, I don't think it's at Meg's, but it is a New Year's party that they're going to. Yeah, I think this one's just like at a bar somewhere, maybe. 
and um, I'm sure it says, and I'm just not remembering. And kind of the usual. She has a run-in with Sunny. Her friends are kind of annoying her because they didn't meet up where they were supposed to. This is where it's revealed that Charlene is wearing Lottie's, um, like, athletic wear that she did a collab with for Nike. So it, like... (laughs) This is super weird. Yeah. And this is where Charlene lifts up her dress to show the, like, Lottie name on the, on the, like, what's clearly, like, you know, like, sportswear. It's not, it's like, it's shaped like an undergarment, but it's, it's the kind where, like, you could just wear this and it would be readable as just, like, oh, sportswear and not even underpants. But Charlene lifts her dress and hollers, I'm wearing your panties. And so... Very weird, and and like I think it's clear that Charlene maybe has been drinking. Yeah, because Lottie's like the look at her face is she drunk, and that's weird. And she meets up with her friends. She runs into Sunny again, and here Sunny is more defensive of Charlene, and because because Lottie's like, why are you even with that girl? Um, so I guess things are back on the mend between them at this point. And cool girl shows up, calls Lottie babe, mm-hmm. and walks her away from Sunny. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, everyone's calling each other babe these days, but I think it doesn't help also that they are so clearly hot for each other. And she shows up just as her boy, her ex-boyfriend is giving her a gift to be like, ooh, come with me, you know? <laughs> and grabs her hand and then, uh-huh. like, leads her away from, like, behind her other arm around her waist, it looks like. Yeah. yeah. They go into the bathroom and, you know, she's, like, kind of, like, upset with Caroline because she realized that Caroline lied about what happened that night, that she collapsed. And even though she initially was, like, didn't like but was kind of allowing Caroline to call her snotty... Here, she's like, and don't even call me that. I hate that. And so it's like that sort of thing that Caroline does is starting to piss her off. And in the moment where she confronts her about lying to her face and saying, I know about the pills and the blood, the mirrors that they're standing in front of inexplicably crack, just a, a, which is just like a moment of unexplained supernatural weirdness <laughs> that the mirrors would suddenly crack when... The tension is rising between them. And of course, Lottie is like, what was that? But Cool Girl looks unfazed by this happening. (laughs) And she decides to, like, leave Lottie alone, saying that, you know, I'm sure there's someone at this party you haven't alienated yet. And this basically leads to Lottie finding Charlene just, like, by herself and crying. And they have, like... A nice conversation, like an actual real conversation and not just Lottie bullying her about like how I feel lost too in life and I have insecurities and I've never really known what I've been doing. And they have kind of a nice moment together as the New Year's countdown starts and Charlene decides to kiss Lottie at the ringing of the new year. Which is obviously a step too far for Lottie, but then on cue, Caroline rolls in as if her spider sense for Lottie being kissed by someone else has tingled. <laughs> and even though Caroline has like, I mean, Caroline I think has knew who about the Charlene thing, 
but doesn't really know this girl, comes in, like, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's not just drunk. And um, after <laughs> after hugging Lottie and be like, oh, let's not fight, um, Charlene points at her and is like, that's not normal. And blood has begun to pour down Caroline's forehead once again, <laughs> similar to the wound that she had in the at the end of issue one. And Lottie's like, what's going on? Charlene is freaking out. Charlene reveals that she was there that night and went to the bathroom after they were there and there was blood everywhere. And so Caroline pushes Charlene off of the edge of the roof that they were... They weren't standing on a roof, but it was one of those LA buildings where, like, the patio is just... There's no railing or anything, and of course it's L.A., so everything is on hills and cliffs, and she, and then, you know, there was caution tape maybe implying that, like, there should be railing there, but maybe there, the railing was being replaced or something, but nevertheless pushes Charlene through the caution tape and off the cliff, ending issue one with this, well, it's not a cliffhanger, because no one's hanging, it's a cliff faller. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I was just confused. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you asked about it, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, and actually, um, earlier I said that when I was complimenting complimenting Mickey Quinn, I said um, colors throughout this series, this um, creator's note at the end of the floppy for issue five is reminding me that Mickey Quinn actually did drop off the book and Rachel Cohen took over for the next volumes. So, still shout out to Mickey Quinn for this volume, obviously. But, brief correction from earlier. So yeah, Chris, did you have any other thoughts and reactions to the end of this volume in terms of any of it? <laughs> Just my usual reaction to anything that's Lynchian, which is, what the fuck is happening? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's very good. I mm -hmm. just, I'm like, I need to read the rest of the issues that will explain some of this. Right. <laughs> or not explain. Or not explain, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how, how long until Charlene just shows up in the next issue? And I'm like, okay, is no one going to mention that she, like, died? <laughs> I will, yeah, I will go ahead and tease that, like, basically in volume two, she, um... It's, it's basically like she did survive the fall. She definitely fell. She definitely survived. But because of her impact to her head, she has some amnesia about what occurred. <laughs> and so that becomes a thing going forward. But So at least for this incident, it's not like Cool Girl where it's like, did this happen at all? <laughs> and that's kind of like part of the setup in what goes on in volume two. <laughs> Eric, how did you feel rereading these issues? Um seven years later well you know yeah basically seven years later because i think even issue five was in 2016 it was as good as i remember yeah this is an auditory medium so i can't actually sell this with my voice but a lot of what's successful also just owes to the art in terms of the fashion where the characters never wear the same thing twice, you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> Just the sheer effort put into designing clothes and constantly bringing in more clothes and, like, the way that things flow and, like, adhere differently to bodies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
And then also just in terms of how hot the characters are mm-hmm. is also part of selling these like beauty, fashion, influencer, social circles, whatever of just like, yep, you look like your appearance is your life. <laughs> and even just in terms of like when she finds someone hot and it's just like, oh, yeah, Sonny, he's hot. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's why he was your ex. <laughs> and I will say that the men that get eroticized here have every bit as big of tits as the women do. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Leslie Lo- Leslie Hung loves to draw a man with a tiny little waist. Why is it so small for other men to fit their hands around? And then big old pecs. Big old titty pecs. <laughs> yeah. Until she brings in Caroline's twink brother, <laughs> who does not have giant titties. <laughs> On the characterization note, too, though, like, the cartooning's just great. The characters are all really consistently different. You know, it's like same face syndrome isn't really an issue. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. everyone's quite distinct and... They all have different head shapes and noses, which... It helps. Yeah, that's what you need. (laughs) It helps. Considering everyone is showing up in a different outfit and therefore with a different silhouette Mm -hmm. every issue, you can still always recognize them, Mm -hmm. which is actually incredibly impressive because it's really difficult to do that. Yeah, and just like, yeah, they have such distinct hairstyles. And yeah, I just, I'm obsessed with Leslie Hung's art. She's really one of my favorite artists at this point. (laughs) But yeah, I just love, like... I'm, I'm going to reread volumes two and three for sure, because this is just reminding me how much I love this series. And um, I really, what I really like is like, it like brings to mind, I think part of why it feels, let me restart the sentence for a third time. <laughs> the characters are so realistic as we've talked about. And I think that it works both as like a time capsule of the era that it was that it was coming out in, um, in terms of, like, the references to, like, Game of Thrones or, like, how, (laughs) you know, as a fashion blogger, she actually does have a blog. She has a website with a blog. Like, she has her Instagram that is obviously a major element of her career. But this girl still has a website, (laughs) which, like, speaks to how long she's been a blogger. But, like, it's interesting looking at this and thinking about how little has changed in terms of like she's an influencer and so she's being sent PR packages and doing collabs with brands but um you know nowadays if this were to come out nowadays you know unless it was still maintaining the like I've been doing this for years she wouldn't have a blog she would not have a website still she'd have her Instagram but she would have a TikTok for sure and it would be like even more about like the the social media as opposed to like I'm sitting down and like writing a blog post and I and I think that like as this was coming out I thought like oh this is be- this is referencing current pop culture current like uh, systems of like how influencers work and stuff and none of it feels cringy none of it feels like a writer trying to make current references that they don't really know about, so it all just sounds kind of fake. Well, at the same time, I think that, you know, reading it seven years later, not a lot has changed. Some has. I th- But I think that even rereading it even later, it will 
successfully go from like reflecting the current era to being a good time capsule of that era even if the references don't apply 100% which I think is like really can make or break something for me like when I'm even if I'm reading fiction or watching a show if you're trying to do references that already sound dated even though this episode came out today and it's only going to age worse as it goes on. Like, that will make it, like, un- unwatchable for me or unreadable or whatever. And I think that this series really nailed that, like, really threaded that needle. It's not too specific. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like the Matrix sequence in Shrek. Right. Or, and I'll, and I'll be brave and say it, referencing the Snyder Cut at the end of Barbie movie, like... Oh, but that laugh was so good. <laughs> it was a good joke. I, I I laughed my ass off at that one. Yeah, it was a good joke, but I was like, that joke is not going to land ten years later. People are going to be like, what? Like, <laughs> I mean, we'll know what it was, but other people are going to be like, mm, I don't know. That's the kind of joke where I'm like, they got away with it in Barbie movie, but it is also an example of the kind of thing that makes me go like, ugh, I don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, and I think that it... it, it I think because it exists or came out and exists in this era of like transitioning from like truly the death of like blogs and websites into it like it's just social media and you just have to succeed in social media. I think that like that kind of like that transitional element of it almost kind of works in and speaks to the surrealness, surreality, surrealness going on, where it's like, because I think that the state of like being being successful and making a career on the internet, I think for the past seven years, honestly, because I've been paying attention to that kind of thing, where like I used to want to make a career out of writing about video games on the internet, which is like even then at the start of me trying to do that, it honestly did mean to some extent, like, being a personality-driven brand unto yourself, like a voice yeah. that people are paying attention to. Because, obviously, media jobs, dying every day, freaking Vice shut down this year. Like, it's really grim out there, girl. And it's like, you know, seeing these, like, older systems of what it means to be successful online collapsing... I think that, like, this series, like, just fits perfectly for that era where even reality around her is, like, breaking a little bit. And I don't think that the series, like, intentionally is doing anything in terms of Snot Girl, in terms of Lottie feeling like, oh, I have to, like, shift to new ways of being a fashion blogger or whatever. But I think that, like, rereading this now, it's interesting how the, like reality shifting and breaking kind of like fits perfectly in the historical context of like just what it means to succeed with the internet is shifting and in most cases breaking and I don't know it's just something I was thinking about as I was reading this today you know yeah I guess, does anyone have any last comments on Volume 1 before we wrap up? I think I'm good. Thank y'all for letting me come on and just speak at length about my favorite comic book. My favorite Western comic book. (laughs) 
We'll have to have you on for volume two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you are willing, then absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> With that said, then next week you regain control so oh yes what are you making me read i don't know i am not recording it in 10 minutes i have no idea we're gonna be reading volume one of money shot uh which is a vault comic series uh by tim seeley and sarah beady uh with art by rebecca isaacs it is about scientists who fund their space exploration by doing an only fans with the aliens that they're fucking I have definitely seen issues of that comic come into a used bookstore that we work at. Um, <laughs> never knew what it was about. And yeah, hearing that pitch, I'm like, oh, I should read that before your episode comes out. Because you should. I'm sold immediately. It's on Hoopla. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, next week is the Alien Porn comic. Thank you again, Trevor. We will have you back to discuss volumes two and three of Snot Girl. And... Yeah, thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Be excellent to each other.